Hello, and thank you for joining us for the first ever Voice Abled podcast. Voice Abled podcast is part of a wider project of a brand new organization called Voice Abled CIC, which is a non-for-profit organization designed to help parents and carers for children that have additional needs. Um, today's episode, we're going to get to know the founder of Voice Abled, Councillor Hodden Haley, and I'm just here for this episode. I hope to be invited again for future episodes. My name is Warda Mohammed, and thank you for joining us. Thank you. Hi, Hodan. How are you? Hi, Warda. How are you? I'm good. I think we should start by giving people just a little bit of background to yourself. Okay. I will do the best I can with the bio that I know of you, but you have to elaborate in order to do it justice. I will do. Deal? Hodden Haley has worked in education for 15 years. She's taught English in secondary school for 10 years. She has a degree in biomedical science, education studies, and a master's in primary education policy and practice. Hodden has also studied PG psychology course. She has worked in the NHS for the last four years as a speech and language therapist assistant and a SEND worker in a nursery setting. Hodden is currently studying her master's in speech and language therapy at the University of Reading and she's also a newly elected councillor in Ealing and for, is it North Acton? Yes, North Acton Ward. And to top it all, she's an amazing mother of four. Did I, <laughs> did that cover it? It did, it did. <laughs> There's a lot to say there. It, it really just, is. just reminded me, I'm like, wow, that's a lot to say, actually. It really is. Yeah. No, I think it's important that we get your credentials out there because it's because so many organizations exist that do have similar aims and goals in supporting families with children with additional needs. It's good to show that the person behind it has the credentials, but not just that. What I think we need to do today is just go delve a little bit deeper and find out more about you more about the person and your personal journey because it's amazing that you've picked up all these qualifications but I just want to understand a little bit more about what motivates you okay um well first um I always um had a passion for additional needs especially children with additional need children with barriers Um, if I just go back on to my younger days, the good old days. Always the best place to start. Yeah, the good Let's go back old. to your <laughs> Tell me about your childhood. <laughs> the good old days. Um, education was a huge part of my life growing up. And that stemmed from my father's. Um, he was never educated himself. Um, he never had the chance or the opportunity to pursue a degree and master. So I think all the, his hopes and dreams were poured to onto me and my siblings um so education was everything growing up reading writing academic doing well at school getting good grades um the you ideal know, immigrant story. absolutely african parents you have to become a doctor engineer a scientist survival <laughs> guilt you made Ab- it so you have to take advantage absolutely yeah. and also um i was brought up to think never to waste time never to waste opportunity and to be grateful you know the opportunities that um god had provided me and my family so um i knew i was always going to get degrees and be academic it wasn't a choice really um, but were I also you, were loved, you meant to be an engineer or a doctor? I think my father was grooming me to be a doctor. 
it's hence why I did a biomedical science degree that I never used I just said to my dad this is for you this is your degree and um but going back uh, just going back a little bit as well into my childhood I've always enjoyed reading and writing from younger age always enjoyed doing I loved English was my favorite subject hence why I decided to do my teaching in English um as soon as I finished my first degree I decided teaching was for me working with children in education was for me I never knew I was going to land a whole career working with children with additional needs that came in later when I embarked on my degree and I did my master's and I had children who had additional need and that made me think I need to get a knowledge understanding of how I could provide and cater to their needs while they're in my classroom. When you say you had children with additional needs, do you mean your own children or your students? My students, my learners. Okay. All right. So you went, but your first degree was in biomedical science. Mm-hmm. Um, so you qualified now. Yeah. How did you transition to teaching? So my last year, I so I went to uni in Yorkshire. So my last year, um, I... I knew I wasn't going to use my degree. It, I was actually bored. It wasn't something that really made me jump out of my seat, but like, oh, I'm going to become a scientist. And um, and the back of my mind, I always knew working with children in education is what truly made me happy. So I moved back to London and I got a job in a private prep school um, working with early years, um, teaching early years while going to reception the following year reading and writing started with phonics and basic duties like that and that was it I never looked back it was four-year-olds group of four-year-olds is what really opened the doors for me made me realize what my passion truly is so you said that with these four-year-olds it was the teaching them to read aspect of it because you've always a good reader mm, how yeah. how important is literacy and reading played in your life absolutely and it was just more than reading as well it was just interacting doing playing planning organizing prepping for these kids um doing reading and phonics it just made me love the whole aspect of teaching um interacting was amazing with these little four-year-olds and that's when i i, I really truly saw my talent finally realize oh this is my talent this is this is what I want to do engage with learners support them through their early years while they're progressing to high school primary school high school and so forth so that's when you decided to train retrain as a teacher yeah so I did that post for a year right and then I I left that post got another post um I was headhunted for another post in a school in in London again um went for that interview and that interview was actually for inclusion coordinator as well as teaching English and supporting children as well in that this was a high school uh, position uh, but the interesting about that role was um I was still unqualified as a teacher as a teacher I wasn't qualified at the time um I took that role and I went to the school and the school wasn't diverse, but it wasn't a diverse community. Right. It was not diverse at all. And um, it was an interesting role. And I think I always look at where the barriers, where the struggles are and how I could improve. And um, that was my first interaction I had again into 
secondary education. Um, I'm working with year sevens, year eights, up to eleven, year year elevens, and I was very fascinated. Um, as you can imagine, high school kids got a lot to say. Their behavior is different. They behave differently to early years. It was a different setting for me, and there was a lot of challenges. And I honestly do love challenges. <laughs> you do love challenges, I do. and like you said, you like to resolve problems. Absolutely. But why are you drawn to resolving these problems? Because knowing you, yeah, both professionally and personally, mm. I know there's a theme where you've yeah. always had a passion. Which we'll get to your political career later yeah, point. Yeah. But it's something about inclusion and. That That's hits all, home for me. Yes. That hits home Why for me. Why is that? Um, I think if I look back, that comes from, again, my own experience to education. I was, I felt excluded and not wanted when I was in high school. I felt certain teachers um, preferred others over me because I didn't look like, you know, um, the representation that was in the school. I, I went to school that were predominantly Asian community and African community but there was more Asian community in the school um there was a bit of um looking back there was a horrible clear-cut racism in the school at the time I was only 13 14 I didn't think it was a racist aspect of it I just thought teachers didn't like me because maybe I'm vocal maybe I'm always fighting for myself on you know fighting for justice that's literally that school for me every day I went it was fighting for my own justice mm. and uh, if it wasn't for one particular teacher who actually saw that I'm actually quite a quiet smart student but you weren't meant to be yeah I would have never she you gave, weren't meant to be the one of the smart no students no because there were so many biases in the and you know that you went to the school yourself yes. you know how horrible it was mm. and um you know who's going to believe um a 14 year old um black girl over professionals of teachers who can make an impact who can change someone's life and I think I left that school being so angry at teach at teachers not all of them there were good ones but I was really hurt and broken that the system was made to make people like me feel a certain way um, as much as my father always advocated for me and advocated for myself I am never the one to back down if I know I'm wrong, if if I know someone had done me wrong or I'm not, you know, I've been wronged, I'm not going to give up. And I think that's something that, again, comes from home. It's just the way that my father brought me up. So um, that left me really angry. But I never realised until Warda, I had that post in that high school. As an unqualified teacher, head of inclusion, I never realised then it made me reflect and evaluate and go back to my own learning, my own education experience and what my life was like in high school. And it brought up so many negative impacts. And then that's when I realised, hold on a minute, I'm going to change this and I'm going to change the narratives um, for all children, not just specific groups, but for all children who may feel like they're unwanted, unloved, they're not listened to and they're not cared for. So what that's what that post did to me was um it made me not only evaluate reflect, but I became a woman of action. I decided to recruit more, you know, students to come into the school from a diverse background so we can was include Was that part of your role? No. It's so never... you took it upon yourself to go it, recruit. Yeah. So you felt this was a good school, but it, it wasn't was, diverse. It wasn't diverse. It was a good school. Um 
some of the um some of the professionals were amazing and i thought we needed to we needed to have a channel of communication with the local communities and find out why they're not sending their daughters to us because the school i worked in was only for girls right and i wanted to understand why why is it this school is in the heart of a huge diverse communities but they're not attending why they're not choosing our school we say we're the best we say we are a standing school we've got a really good offset report but why so i kept asking but why 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 and the only reason the only way i could find out to my you know the question of asking why the answers it lied with the parents and the community so i have to cross and get in go into do presentation speak to local parents find out what the issues are what are their worries what are their concerns and i think by the time that i left the school it was 30% higher um diversity rate i think when you were in school if there was a post like the post that you had in that school mm-hmm. the inclusion officer role do you think it would have made a difference when i was growing up right yes. definitely so would you say that schools have come a long way in terms of meeting the needs i think the school has come a long way but we still face certain issues in schools children are still feel isolated not included we're not tackling things the right way but we mm. have improved from my time your time to now but there's still a huge work that we need to do as yeah. educators i mean this just touches home a little bit to me because yes we did go to the same school although we didn't know each other at the time it, at the yeah. time um th- it's more than just institutional racism I just feel like there's a lot of people that have a lot to answer for because teachers and staff in schools play such an influential roles in people's lives that they can essentially change the whole trajectory of someone's life. Absolutely. Because it's such a vulnerable, like, it's such a pivotal time in someone's life. And I just remember things like people that were from our shared background were always put forward for foundation papers when even given the opportunity to do the higher higher papers. I remember when they introduced the whole set system, right? It was like, why was one set predominantly darker toned, skin toned than the other? And it's not just, it's all about resources as well. It's all about resources and and educating the educators. Mm -hmm. It's about ranking, school rankings and investing in the children that are more gifted. I remember the whole gifted and talented club. It was so... It felt like it's interesting, a, wasn't it? Second class. <laughs> yeah, I felt like it created like a whole second class, you know, syndrome it did. It did. in the pupils. So did. they were the gifted ones and they got all the resources. And it just makes me think you were fortunate because of the input you had with your dad from a, such a young age, how he made, he, he essentially was an educator at home for you. Absolutely. He, he, was. he influenced you with regards to your reading and your discipline and need to learn. Obviously, not all children have have that and then they come to school and then I know teachers are they're social work teachers are like social workers they're police they're law enforcers they wear so many hats yeah and there's only so much teachers can do so I feel like it is institutional racism but there's other issues with that but then if the more talented kids get all the focus and then minority kids then are segregated on top of that, having a learning disability it's hard. and additional learning needs. It should have been picked up earlier in primary school. 
But what about all the refugee kids or the kids that it just wasn't picked up and it was put as a behavioral issue? Do you think that teachers are picking up on these educational needs earlier than before? Okay, so you made a one valid point and I actually want to highlight. You said, you know, I had my father to support me. What about the other children who don't have anybody to support them? I think that's exactly what my whole education life has been about. Being, supporting, advocating for those who don't have the right support, right? So no child's left behind. No child is left behind in my classroom. Um, and I don't believe there's a child that's hard to reach. We love, you know, using all oh, that child is um, aggressive or hard to reach. Um, everyone's dealing with something and every child is like an adult. They, they go through things. The labelling doesn't help. It doesn't help either. It just actually pushes the child away mm. rather than, you know, communicating with teachers or, you know, um, engaging. And so you would always find me, Hoven, with those who can't defend themselves, for those who can't, you know, express themselves, for those who feel left out. And I think I literally turned my whole career into that. No child left behind. No child left behind. And it really saddens me because I was left and I was left behind in my classroom if I didn't speak up, if I didn't put my foot down, if I didn't But you say had that no. self-confidence instilled yeah. from you. And that's what I do. I install, I make sure... The children I teach, they know their rights. They can speak up themselves. I give them confidence. I give them the space they need to grow, need to engage, need to understand. There's a, This is a time you need to stand up for themselves. And also, if they don't share things with me and with other teachers, we won't know anything. We won't know anything. Tell me so, about this teacher that you said helped you. And if it wasn't for this teacher, what did that teacher do? So there, um, one of the lessons, one of the students called me a horrific racist a remark it literally blew me away I lost it and when I say I lost I saw red I'm not happy of what I did but that's I reacted because of you know and he and it was a he so it was a man a lot of stronger than me taller bigger um his words really cut me and um the teacher in the classroom at the time I remember it was actually a maths lesson she immediately took his side and said you know you're wrong Hodan and asked me to leave the classroom I was sent to the head teacher's office and you were wrong for what for sticking up for myself and when I say to you he called me a racist comment from the whole entire class the teacher heard it herself but what hurt me the most and this was my wake up call maybe I needed I needed this this experience um when I went to the head teacher's office um I was sitting outside and he was I don't know where they took him they took him somewhere else listen to what my teacher said about me she said I attacked him first she never mentioned the racist mark he said she never mentioned she just said um Hoden had attacked him and now we called his parent he's distraught he's she made him sound like I literally yeah huge victim that I was so abusive but it wasn't the case actually it was it was the other way around um He's a boy, he's stronger than me at the time. Of course he's going to hit me. He literally raised his hands on me and I had to defend. Um, I refused to leave school. I said, you can call the police, whatever you want. I'm sorry, I'm not leaving. And um, so my form tutor was called into question. So they called her and they said, um, Hoden had got herself into a bit of trouble. Are you able to come? So she, left. she had to leave and come and speak to me. They took me to room to talk. I, I wrote down my statement. 
and um, thank God I could write. <laughs> um, so my statement and the teacher's statement and his statement made no sense. We all mentioned our stories wasn't the same, but his statement was very aligned with the teacher's statement. And um, the head teacher said, hold on, go home. We'll call, they called my dad and said, go home and we'll talk about this tomorrow. I said, if I leave the school now, I'm going to go with an exclusion. Mm-hmm. I don't care whether it's temporary exclusion, whether it is permanent, I don't care. You will not exclude me because I haven't done nothing wrong. So I refused to leave the school, which meant they had to sort the issue. I said, I'm not going. I said, no one's leaving until... So the boy went home. So I stayed behind with the teacher went home herself that accused me. And so the my form tutor said, I'm going to ask you one more time. Tell me the story again. I told her and she said, who was it that you had a fight with? Said it was him. And she said, OK. She said, I promise you, said, go home now. It's getting late. Your father's here. Go home. Trust me, I will sort this out. And you're not excluded. That's the only way I went home. Mm. Um, we were called the next day. Um, I think we had a meeting, the boy and I, and the maths teacher, my form tutor. Um, that's when they realised. I think the boy had changed his heart. He realised how it affected me and how I wasn't going to let this go. So he admitted and said, I said those words to her and I hate her first. And she just defended herself. But while this was happening, I could not believe the teachers, the maths teachers' behaviour and treatment towards me. And I remember I asked her, what is it about me that bothered you so much that you heard his racist remarks, but you chose to cut for him and not me? Mm. He said, you don't have to like me, but he was racist. Mm. And it was very clear, the whole class stop talking to him because mm. of what he had said right mm. i said how then how did he then where is your job where's the justice for me then yes i could have been what do you know i could have been permanently excluded yeah so this set the tone for me so what did she say nothing mm. nothing she could um and they asked me they said hold on you can change um her math lesson and go to i said no I would have started hating maths from that point on. Yeah, I said, no, I said, I'm not leaving my class. She can leave the class and get us a new teacher. I'm not leaving my set. And the friends I've made in that group, because remember when you're different set, you know, you study with different uh, other forms, don't you? Yes, yes. It's not just a specific form. So I said, I'm sorry, but I have good relation in that class. I'm not leaving. And it wasn't because I had a good relation. I was stubborn. I'm, I'm the one. I will prove my point. And that's what I did. And um, so she didn't leave. I didn't leave. We both stayed. She had to put up with me. But it made me think. That's what set it off for you. Yeah. How you're not going to let not any every child teacher, left behind. Yeah, I honestly thought teachers were there to protect all children regardless. That is ha- that's how stupid I was back then. And that just showed me no, that wasn't the case. But the reason why that teacher had really changed my life, in, even though her negative experience left me haunted, but my form tutor, she's still there at the school, by the way. She she stood up for me. She said, no, she's not getting excluded. The boys got permanently excluded because he this was actually something he was doing before. Right. And I um, wonder if he ever got help. If he ever got helped? Mm. I'm not quite sure. Okay. Um, but I know he was very remorseful and very 
um, very apologetic what happened and he did apologize numerously but what's done is done and the hope I walked away that thinking I had one teacher who stuck up for me and one teacher who let me down so this is why you chose your profession and that's why I chose my profession but teaching wasn't just teaching for me not just to get subject knowledge and be in the classroom mm. and get paid and cool and you just go home in the day teaching for me is more than that it's deeper it's connecting with children that we we teach so we were at the point of you working as the inclusion officer at that school yeah at that point you decided to retrain and become a teacher yourself yeah what subject Um, english but before i decided to to become a teacher i think working with kids who were always left behind always find school challenging who are those kids um ethnic minorities a lot of ethnic minority kids um, didn't have the right support at the time. Um, I wouldn't say stood. I think time has has proved there's a lot of improvement in the ethnic minority um, students and learners, but there's still some things that we need to question. Right. Um, so that role, uh, again, I was there a year, but within that year, that's when I decided I need to go and train um, so the head teacher had a word with me and said, you would, you really do belong in the classroom. She said the way you interact and engage with kids and the way they respond to you and the way they trust you and the way, and the report you build with them is exactly what we need. You take teaching one further step ahead. These kids come look for, and honestly, what that? They used to come look for me on my oh. break, my lunch. I don't think I ever had a break or lunch when I was teaching um, in that specific school. And it, it Honestly, they made me as much of whatever support I gave them. They, they, ha- they, don't, they have no idea how much also they have impacted um, my life. So um, I went and trained. Um, I did my teacher training um, in English. That was a subject I, I really liked. And I still came back and continued my role, which and was you amazing. you chose to go into secondary education. Yeah. I think that was what I needed at the time. And I could make a lot of impact. And um, there's a lot of kids with learning difficulties, learning barriers. Uh, so many things was going on at the time. But just to able support and guide them and making sure that they leave school with decent GCSEs um, was everything I strive for. How is it that children that have gone through primary school education can end up in high school and still not? have diagnosis like dyslexia or learning disabilities and stuff like that not picked up okay you got to understand teacher training course doesn't teach you about scent at all or doesn't it covers it is a it, it just literally it's a brief it's an overview but in order for you to see these signs or understand something you really have to major um in a special educational needs um and I think a lot of the reason why um, kids were undiagnosed or went under the radar and when it come to second school, then we deal with issues are nobody picked up in early stages. Nobody or parents weren't aware of it. Or so there to wasn't become a any. qualified teacher, sorry to cut in yeah. there, um, it's, a, it's an additional module that you have to choose. So it's not compulsory. No. to be able to learn how no. to teach no it's part of it you you do learn it's just like an overview it's like a brief summary but it's not um a, a major if you want to do a special education you have to major you have to literally study that subject and major and same goes don't you for, think that's wrong 
So you think that it should be part of all teaching qualifications to learn that? Um, that's my opinion, but not every teacher wants to go through all that SEND um, training. Um, for the listeners that don't know what SEND stands for. Special Educational Needs and Disability. Okay. Um, not everybody wants to major. Some people, some teachers just want to do their subject and go and teach. So um, it's all about your passion. It's all about what you want to do. But everybody, so all teachers, they do know what, when there's a need or there's a concern about a child, they do know what they have to do. They have to refer them, um, explain the issues and the concerns. And then we have a SENCO in every school, a whole team for that, that can assess the child, mm. that could do intervention, that can support the child, whether it's reading or writing, whether the child needs speech and language, or therapist to come in, um, education psychologist, behaviour psychologist. So um, we have a team to support that. Although the classroom teacher might not have a, a you know, a depth knowledge on ascent, but there's a whole team, a whole department in schools that would guide the teacher if she showed up. There's a concern in a specific child. Mm. What's your opinion on segregated education? Um, special schools and mainstream. Mm. Um, that's an interesting one. Um, a lot of parents don't like to send their kids um special schools mm-hmm. and um and special schools are quite actually expensive but i think sometimes when the child has a very complex needs and they need that attention um all the time and then that's when the special school comes in but every other mild or, or medium um learning needs it can be addressed in mainstream but then again some parents would advocate for mainstream and some parents would advocate for mainstream that's why it's there to give the parents the options. They can choose. I understand that. Um, but coming from the social model of disability, mm. um, which advocates that it's not the disability that disables a person, it's society, because it's society that puts all these barriers in people. Um, I'm very much for that. And I feel like we've come such a long way from back when disabled people used to be locked away and, and hidden and from society. Yeah. I understand that some schools can't meet the needs of certain children that have yeah. additional needs. But, as, but I feel like there's more that still could be done to facilitate um, kids that do have additional needs to go to mainstream school. Mm-hmm. And it's not just a benefit for the kids with additional needs, it's a benefit for those that don't. Um, Growing up, I went to a school where we had to learn sign language because there were so many deaf kids in our school and we were integrated. And that's helped me develop more compassion. Mm. And I can't get my head around people that commit hate crimes towards people with disabilities because seeing a disabled person makes them uncomfortable. And and then again, it's also, um, I hear what you're saying and you're absolutely right. Um, we shouldn't just isolate said kids, especially one with disabilities. They should integrate with uh, mainstream learners and be it part of it. It all comes down to funding. It all comes down to funding and placements and the right interventions. And right. there's no point having a, um, um, a send child in a mainstream if we're not going to provide with them the right materials, resources, right. funding, um, right. the one-to-one that they need, the education psychologist they may need, the speech and language, the OT they might need, right? Or the nurse that they might need. Yeah. Some kids could be dysphagia. So um, for me, I think... I would want, I want to go back a little bit more basic, right? I think we need to educate parents and teachers more and educators around SEND. 
and um, making sure that we see um, the symptoms and the, and the signs early stage earlier on so we can put the, you know we can in, um, they can have interventions they can be diagnosed early and we can put you know a more whole support. plan and more yeah. support in place at younger age so I always say when we when we clear things at an early stage or we do an early intervention then that child has more um, possibility of being a mainstream but what is that Imagine if a child doesn't get the right diagnosis at a younger age and they struggle and they constantly struggle with that diagnosis and they find the diagnosis and the parents can't understand how to support the child. The child develops mental health issues. And then and then do we have then the right to say, hold on a minute, we can't cater for this child, take them to a special school. So it's 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 sort of like we have to get it right from a get-go. And that's why early intervention is very crucial and early help and support for both. I, I For me, I'm such a child-centered person, not just a child, but we have to also educate and support the parents too and the families we send. That makes sense. I think the reason why we have this podcast is to highlight the issues and and it's a platform just to share ideas and to discuss the issues pertaining to supporting kids with additional needs. But your organization, Voice Able, CIC, mm. and... In the later episode, we will go into more detail about the objectives of your organization. But I think one element of what you're trying to do, um, in addition to providing that direct support, mm. is advocating and informing policy changes. So you will advocate for early interventions and that to be done sooner and better. Mm. And there's other charitable organizations like the Alliance for Education, Alfie, who advocate for integration in education but will that be that sort of campaigning element will that be part of what voice able will be doing i think voice the reason why it's called voice able is just for that it's just to be the voice for these children to be the voice for these families that are really struggling um when their child has been diagnosed with a barrier or a disability and um if and in within within my work experience as well as a te- as teaching i've always listened to parents always say but my child deserves this or my child deserves more or this shouldn't be happening to my child i need to do more what can i do more um it's really really hard for parents to navigate the send their special education needs and disabilities system it can be tiring there's a lot of report reading there's a lot of appointments there's a lot of issues there's a lot of concerns and this has takes a stress on the parents mm-hmm. so when I do my therapy and I and I do my intervention with parents all they want is the best for their child like everyone else they're not asking for anything different anything special what do you do in these interventions with parents and children um so as a speech and language therapist I do a lot of social communication language and speech depending on the need of that child but lately more social communication and um autism so so social communication is always you know around um autism right so it's really hard for parents to deal with it first to deal with their child's diagnosis and um it's a sort of grieving process it, in itself. It, re- yeah. it really is it really is um because they don't know how to manage the child's behavior or, or you know how to deal with that but the behavior. parents need therapies as part of that process i think and again parents are left behind because what we're not what we're doing is we're not giving the right support for parents for their mental health so for their well-being and something and f- so for my organization 
I'm there to bridge the gap or narrow the gap between the system, the education system and the same child with the families. So as well am I doing intervention with the child and educating the child and supporting the children, I'm also working with parents. Parents are also not left behind. And um, it's actually quite dramatic and really sad when you sit with these parents and, you know, you really hear them out. Just yesterday, I was speaking to a parent um, who caught me in my son's um, school in the playground. And she didn't want me to give her any any advice or any. She just wanted to vent. She just wanted to have a word, yeah. talk about what she's going through. And this is a very able mom. It's been very good English, well-educated, come from an educated background, mashallah. But the problem is... It's hard on everybody. Yeah. It is really hard for, for all parents, regardless of where they're from, whether they speak English or not, whether they can read and write. Her son um, has been diagnosed with autism since he was five, now that he's 11. So he's going to high school and he's same year as my my my, my son. And she just was like, it's really hard. Um, it's scary you know, transitioning it's, exactly, itself. Yeah. And that, that's what she's worried about. So she's given me a school name and said, oh, Hodan, do you think... What do you think of their scent? Are they good? Are they decent? You know, and that just showed me that she just worried. She just wanted to have a word, just sit down, just catch up things and just let it out as well. is therapy for her. So I've listened. But that made me just realise, I'm like, wow, um, it's also hard for parents who could actually navigate the system. She finds it so tiring. She said it's, it's exhausting. And the worst thing is she had to leave her job and this is a this is something that are not a lot of um, um people talk about. Parents with sen child or disability, they have to change their whole lifestyle, mm-hmm. how they work, when they work, what they need to do. Their whole family routine changes. And that alone is traumatic. And that alone is traumatic. And not a lot of people can understand why a you know some mothers they can't be out on certain time. No. Um, can't they can't go do to certain, certain activities. Par- birthday parties. Can't go to certain birthday parties. Or if they do, they ask you, if they, they, you know, they give you a whole list of things or they might ask you certain questions. It's not to say they're trying to second guess you or be mean. Mm-hmm. It's just they're catering for their child. And I think society, we don't really accept that. We don't really understand that. Um, again, we also have to offer support to parents as well. 